Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. tonight's broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio, where we take a look at the news concerning what we call prison slavery made legal after the so-called abolition of slavery in 1865 in the United States. Of course, as always, as is our regular format, we'll go over some news from around the country, and before ending the program, we will share a profile in freedom from prison slavery. Uh, there's always a new person who ha- is getting out of prison slavery, and so we definitely want to document and highlight those on this pop broadcast and podcast. We also will feature a past abolitionist. Our special guest tonight on our panel will be Rosara Torres, author of Abuse Hidden Behind the Badge. The book serves as her autobiography and will take you into her personal experience with domestic violence and the law. The book tells of a true survivor's strength and courage to fight back against injustice by those whose duty it is to protect and serve. And this program views criminal justice reforms in the context of the continuation of slavery. The program is a collaborative effort between the nonprofit organizations, Prison Streets Talk Ministries, and the Black Talk Media Project. I am your one of the panelists and your moderator, Scotty Reed, and I'm joined on the line uh, by our guest tonight. I mean, excuse me, my fellow panel members, Tyson McCullum and of course Mother Khadija and Maxwell Melvins will join us later if he's able. He's out there putting in work. So now that I have introduced tonight's program, I want to welcome in my fellow panelists. Good evening to uh, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's up, Reed? How you doing, brother? Doing the best I can. Pleasure to be here. Another, another, another week. You know, God is God is God is good, man. That's all I can say, man. I'm happy to be on the show. Happy to be here. You know, I want to say God bless all the listeners, and um, God bless all the supporters. So, um, you know, it's a pleasure to be here every time. Being able to talk about these issues, being able to, to come together as as black people to be able to be the voice for our fellow brothers and sisters, it's a pleasure. 
Thank you, Brother Reed. How are you? As my uh, dearly departed uncle, one of them would say, I'm still walking on top of it. And that's just <laughs> summarizing what uh, Brother Tyson just uh, said. We, I'm happy to be alive. Amen. That's the truth. Well, this is Mother Khadija. I want to say hi to all my listeners, and God bless everyone. And Brother Reed, I want to thank you personally for allowing us to have a platform to bring people stories and pretty much explain what the truth of the matter is. And it's not just isolated cases. This is everywhere. So we're just trying to figure out how we can make changes and how we can give back to the resources in the community. And I just want to thank you, Black Talk Radio, the new abolition um, um, radio stations, just for allowing us to do this. So God is great, and to him be all the glory. And to your point, um, we appreciate our donors because we don't have that many so that means we really value the ones we've uh, had over this past 10 years of broadcasting and producing uh, independent safe black spaces on the online and so um, you know we're going to open up our community and and make it more affordable because we really want to hear from people and then just earlier tonight as I was preparing for tonight's broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio we want to hear from the prisoners okay we want to hear from y'all we've always heard heard from them uh, behind the walls we don't concern ourselves with how you got a phone and how you was able to make a call Uh, we always are willing to relay uh, news from behind the enemy lines and and I say that as an intro on Black Talk Radio News and I mean that it's like I'm behind enemy lines in my own so called country Uh, but when I guess you're behind those walls you're basically a prisoner of war in addition to uh, serving penal servant uh, slavery. So um, we want to hear from you um, listeners out there that may be behind those walls. Give us a call. And you, the everyday listener, 704-802-5056. 704-802-5056 is the call-in number. Now, before I get into some of the news stories, was there anything, um, um, Brother Tyson, or Mother Khadijah, anything that caught your eye that's on your mind, you know, that's news, that's not really being reported, and you want to bring to our attention? Is there I- anything? Well, the, my, my concerns and what I wanted to talk about today, Brother Reed, I had a brother call me um, who is also incarcerated and tell me the grievance that they have on, that they have on the facilities because of the um, the police the police brutality the aggressiveness that the police come in and to work with and and they was telling me how more so is more so the females because the female officers treat people like crap because they have the power to push the button to where is that you know they can have these brothers jump and things like that because you know, the, in, inside the system, they try to prioritize the females when it's, 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 it's you know, like I said, I, you know, I've been in there, I've witnessed it. It's like they coming in with this, 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 this arrogant attitude, like they mad with all men, and they come in there and they just degrade you and just treat you like crap. But when you speak up for yourself, 
they want to threaten to call a sergeant or, you know, they want to push the panic button. So, you know, when he was telling me this, it's like, bro, I went through this and I understand what he's saying. So that's that's just a, one of the concerns that that need to be spoke about. And that, that was something that caught my attention because it's like, all right, when you go to work, you have a job to do. You don't take your personal dealings from the outside and you go in there and you have the authority to be able to treat a person like crap. You know, that's yeah. just something that's that's unfair. It's not professional. If you can't do your job, then you shouldn't take the job if you can't be professional. But you know, those type of job, jobs um, attract all kinds. Um, not only are they education level uh, likely to be, you know, not college educated and even then because that's your officers and and the ones that get promoted you know they have a little college but the everyday uh co as as they call them um the requirements to get those jobs is basically just a high high school um diploma and in you know, I was speaking earlier about black misandry towards black men and boys. And it is it's something that's real. It is something where there is a segment of women and some of them are black who really hate men and they paint men as predators and do, have, do people in our community prey upon other people whether they be children, whether they be, you know, anybody, anybody. Um, yes, conditions often uh, force that, and we'll get into an article later that says incarceration causes crime. But we'll get in get into that later. But that happens in that happens in every community. But you know, so right. to blame it on the black male and attack the black right. male, and you know, when you're attacking the black male, you're attacking not just men but the boys too. That boy that you might be raising. And, and what have you. So that is something that... But you, you, know, what's, you know what's crazy, Scotty, is that... Um, but let me say this, know. and i let you speak, Brother Taysan. So I can see some black women who have that attitude, or any women who had that attitude of misandry, which is the irrational fear and hatred of men, and they take it out on prisoners when, you know, they're uh, employed in these male, uh, you know, dominated facilities. Right. You're right about that. And um, another thing is that, you know, like you, you had said something about, oh, you know, they always blaming everything on the black community. But crime been going on since the beginning of the time. And, you know, when you go back to Bush Cassidy and, and all of them, you know, robbing banks and doing all this, these people is... is, is is a generation who, who, who completely started crime. You go back to Bush and the crime family, you know, stealing oil, doing what they want. But, you know, none of that is, the light is never shined on none of that stuff. Al Capone, all these people, you know, white faces that committed all these crimes. But none of this, this get no light on it because they, they, they feel like they don't do no wrong. It's, it's the black community that do the wrong. Well, that's but if the you media. go back to our ancestors, our ancestors, they commit crime. They live to survive. Yeah, that's, you that's been the media crime spin on it. became part of our life because of the way, the way that they put the chains and bounded us down, and it became part of life because when, when, they, when they brought this, this, this garbage over here, 
to be able to give us a way, thinking that this is a way for us to pay the bills and support our family. But this is when the crime rate started in the black community. You know, crack cocaine, cocaine, you know, all this stuff is what tore our community apart. When we didn't have this, the crime rate was down. Yeah, there's also the invention of crime as well. But Mother Khadijah, um, um, let me give you the last word before we get into our regular segments again in about 15 minutes. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on these stories. Or we might have to say some for after our guest, but we will be joined. Am I pronouncing her name correctly, um, Mother Khadijah? Say that again. Rosaria Torres. Rosaria you're not, if I'm pronouncing it wrong, she's going to let us know. <laughs> oh, okay. But go ahead, uh, Mother Khadija. And I'll be really brief because I don't want to be, because I know we got a lot of stuff to cover and you've got stories and stuff. But I just wanted to chime in on the female side as far as the women incarceration. There's no difference really between the men and the, when the, the men and the women because it's mainly overwhelming women of color. So there's a lot of black men and women are being incarcerated. So that's, we're not shocked that that's an increase. The issue is that's not being addressed from the First Step Act is the issues and the needs that the female prisoners have to go through. And according, I was reading somewhere today in Time magazine, it's an old article, but with the National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, a lot of the women that's being arrested in prison, they're single mothers, and they've been victims of domestic and sexual violence. So are you just going to throw them all amongst everybody else? It's like, how are we not helping the population of the women that's incarcerated? On top of the fact that, well, thank you for not, you know, for taking the shackles off their mother's ankle so they can have babies. So, that, okay, thank you, but you shouldn't have been doing that in the first place. But how can we address the issues with people that are dealing with domestic violence? That's why I wanted Sister Torres to come on because her story is so powerful, so powerful that she became She's an advocate, a real advocate, not just by title. That's really who she is. And, and, and I just wanted to say um, it's a pleasure to have her on today and, and just to really hear her story. It's going to really tie in somehow to how the female prisoners or single mothers that's dealing with all this abuse on top of dealing with everything else in prison. Well, and that's all I wanted to say. I'm certainly looking forward to uh, listening to her story. So, you know, we were just speaking about the causes of crime, and I came across this this news article, uh, or it's actually a study. Um, I found a study through a news article, but Vera Institute of Justice published a publication, and this is like two years old, but it's, it's not really been publicized a lot as far as, you know, I have heard, but it's titled The Prison Paradox. More incarceration will not make us safer. Um, despite its widespread use, research shows that the effect of incarceration as a deterrent to crime is minimal at best and has been diminishing for several years. Indeed, increased rates of incarceration have not demonstrate have no demonstrated effect on violent crime, and in some instances may increase crime. There are more effective ways to respond to crime evidenced by the 19 states that recently reduced both their incarceration and crime rates. 
Um, this brief summarizes the weak relationship between incarceration and crime reduction and highlights proven strategies for improving public safety that are more effective and less expensive than incarceration. Well, you know, I know they like to look at things in dollars and cents, but how about more humane? Less expensive or more humane, less expensive, because that's what's really, you know, as we were talking about the other issues about what men or women uh, go through and who's being perpetrated. We're talking about basically human rights. Um, American citizens, we're talking human rights and uh, so-called constitutional rights. But, um, you know, that we're going to post that. We've already posted that in our chat. I'm going to uh, get it posted. It's already linked up for you. If you want to check out these news stories um, from the page on Black Talk Radio Network, Dot com for our show tonight, New Abolitionist Radio. You'll find a link called Show Notes, and that'll take you to our planning page in btrcommunity.com. Um, you don't have to be a member to view the planning page, but why not become a member and help support the nonprofit? So, uh, any quick thoughts on, on that? I, I already got a thought. If you are using, speaking of uh, inhumane conditions, um, Mother Khadijah and Brother Tyson, when you putting people in solitary confinement and the psychological damage that that does to them, um, you know, uh, it really does have a, a, a negative impact on people. And then when they get out, they will be prone to certain behaviors that will land them right back in prison. But a lot of it is resulted from the torturous conditions. Your quick thoughts. Right. Hey, Brother Reed, it's funny you said that because um, you you absolutely correct, man, that it do have a toll, man. Um, my, my wife went on the news because these people had me in a cell, and um, I didn't have no ventilation, and, I, you know, I have asthma, and it was ants in the cell. This was in Mecklenburg County, and... At the same time that I was there, four people just had died. So my wife went on the news, so in retaliation, they put me in a hole. But they tried to put me in a cell inside the hole that had all on the walls. You know, because they had, they put people down there who got psychological problems, and you try to lock them up, and they wiping, they wiping feces all on the wall. And you try to turn around and put me in that cell like that, but I let I let them know like this: you're not going to put me in this cell. You know, it's it's contaminated and it's it's against my rights. You know, and you have people in there with 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 conditions that need more help from from psychiatrists than they provide because you know these these psychiatrists that they have in the system is lazy. You had a man in there, he hung himself inside the hole, excuse me. Then you had another man in there who who just used to just poop on the floor and then smear it on the wall and smear it on his body. And, you know, they didn't get him no sight, you know, no, no sight. They wanted to beat him up. Wow. But it's clearly that he has issues. Yes. You know they have to take they have to take in consideration these 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 violations of conditions when it comes to psych evaluations and and putting a person in a hole 
is especially when they're dealing with these issues psychologically, they're they're more they're more at risk when you put them in a hole and just lock them there, no activity, nobody to talk to. So now you 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 are basically allowing this person to really want to commit suicide. Right, I, I understand that, it, and that perhaps that could be a longer topic that uh, we could do a segment on, perhaps bring some people on. I'm thinking about Albert Wood Fox. He was part of Angola 3, uh, Robert King. Um, just think, though, about I was speaking more to, and and this just goes to add on to what you're saying, Brother Tyson, about the people who already have a mental condition and then that worsens it. But they are actually putting healthy people in there and is having a negative impact on their mental health, um, and which leads to a deterioration of your physical health as well. But just think about political prisoners like Albert Wood Fox, uh, that little cell you're talking about, they had him in there for 25, 30 years. Um, he only got out for an hour a day, and each time he got out, they did a anal cavity search. Now, you know this man is in the most secure wing of the thing, in a cell by what he going to put up, his rectum, that you got to do this to him. It, it is a form of torture. And, and so, you know, that causes uh, psychological problems. I interviewed... Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and you know, Brother Reed, yeah. like in New Jersey, right? Like I said, I just came from there. I was in Southwoods. And New Jersey laws is 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 different from North Carolina. North Carolina, they don't make you bend over and spread your butt cheeks. In New Jersey, you have to actually before you used to just squat and cough. Now they want you to bend over and spread your butt cheeks so they could look at your booty hole. And that's 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 that that has a man. It takes a big toll on you, man, because it's like as a man. You are validated. You are validated, man. Like, well, I would, know, I, I would felt, imagine I even like, as a woman, know, I would imagine a woman would feel violated uh, in right. that circumstance. But, but we, uh, I don't mean to cut you short, brother Tyson. But we got to keep a schedule, and I need to move on to the to the last story before our guests come in, come in, and we'll say the other one on the other side of, of the guests. Um, but this definitely. You know, uh, Mother Khadijah, perhaps uh, we could work on getting some people on um, to talk about that uh, further in a segment of itself. Um, so I want to bring to your attention real quick. I'll say this one on the attorney general nominee of Trump, Bill uh, Barr or William Barr, which is, is his name. And uh, he has a tough on crime record, and we know what that means. He pro-slavery. But I want to bring to your attention, before we bring our guest on, to a journalist who has uh, been arrested um, by the United States police. Now, what agency that is, I, I don't know. Uh, that could mean anything. But I'm going to read a little bit from this Huffington Post article about this African-American woman um, she is, I believe, from St. Louis, but she converted to Islam. She changed her name. She moved to Iran. Um, she's married. She has a husband in Iran. Um, she's always had her passports and traveled back and forth. She still has her family here. And this woman is being held in Washington, D.C. at an undisclosed location 
with no charges. So let me just share this from this Huffington Post piece that was posted by Parisa Hafezi. Um, U.S. police have arrested an American-born journalist working for Iran's English-language press TV. The state-run broadcaster reported on Wednesday. It said uh, Mazieh Hashimi was arrested at St. Louis Lambert International Airport on Sunday and was being held in custody in Washington, D.C. No formal charges had been made against her. FBI officials were not immediately available for comment. Hashimi, a TV anchor and documentary filmmaker, was in the United States to visit her family. The broadcaster said and was and was allowed to call her daughter two days after her arrest. According to Press TV, Hashimi was born Melanie Franklin in the United States and changed her name after converting to Islam. She was quoted as saying by Press TV that she has been prevented from observing the Islamic dress code, the hijab um, in prison, and she was only offered pork as a meal, which is prohibited in Islam. The only food she has had over the past two days has been a packet of crackers. Hashimi was quoted as saying by Press TV. This is what she told her daughter once she was able to call her daughter. So, um, you know, the media made a big deal, as they should have made a big deal, and gave a lot of attention to the uh, murder of that journalist working for the Washington Post who was a Saudi Arabian citizen. I don't know if he had U.S. citizenship or, or dual citizenship. Um, and his name just escaped me. But, you know, it's a big deal. You know, the Saudis cut him up in pieces and carried his body out, body parts out separately. Um, Khashoggi, something like that, Khashoggi. But anyway, with the crown prince being involved, now look at all the attention. They still bring that up. And so, you know, I haven't seen anyone uh, like you have the National Association of Black Journalists. Um, I'm going to have to tweet this at Roland Martin, but, um, you know, thankfully this person who obviously has access to publishing on Huffington Post, uh, Parisi Hafezi for getting this article out because, um, you know, this is about the only out, only report that I could find um, at the time we came on air with this. Um, what are you what are you all thoughts about what I call a disappearance? You know, well, now her family knows, but you just snatched this woman out off the street and and, you know, holding her not only without bail, without charge thoughts. Basically, when you look at the story, it's, 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 it's like, you know, it's a part of a system that they they have designed to where it's like a part of retaliation. You know what I'm saying? And this is what they did to this woman. It's, it's like they looked at her as a casualty of war. So, you know, when you, know, when you have these people, unfortunately, going back and forth, you know, just doing things to each other, you know, and, 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 and trying to make a statement and you have innocent people who get caught up in situations because of the arrogance that these people have. Right, the now, politics involved. You, you know, yeah. like this is this is this is a, a Muslim sister. You know, and for them to do what they did to her Yeah, just it's, offering it's, her poor abomination. It's the yeah. abomination completely to human rights. Right. Well, Brother, I just want to comment of the abuse that she 
said that um, happened to her. She said she was subjected. She told them her family this. That she was subjected to violent and abusive treatment from the beginning. It wasn't like it just happened. This is how she was treated. And they made her, she says, remove her hijab and wear only short sleeve shirt, which goes against the um, Islamic culture, beliefs. So just to um, deny her halal food that's required by her, because she's under the Islamic law. So by law, you still have to hear the other laws. They just, you know, offered only pork as meal and not even bread. And, and so as a result of eating against what she normally eats, even a pack of crackers, after even she even was apprehended, apprehended from even eating that. So just imagine eating something that you know you're not supposed to eat. And you're forced to eat it by itself. It's like the torture she's being, it, uh, this is just a little bit. When I mean, we can go in all night, I don't want to take up the all day talking about this. This is a good story to talk about, which shows the domestic violence that go on behind that. How does the person cope when they come out of that situation? When she's finally taken back home, what's going to happen? More retaliation? So we have to look at people's actions, you know, it, you know it's like a domino effect. It's going to require another reaction. Now, she, she is also a U.S. citizen. She just married to an Iranian and works in Iran on press TV. I've seen her documentary. She talks about racism and Islamophobia. Islamophobia, I, I didn't say that correctly. You know, just discrimination, religious bigotry. And so that's what she's doing. So, you know, I see, I agree with the way, I like the way Tyson put it, as a casualty of war. And she, you know, she's still an American citizen, but she, you know, that hasn't meant anything since they launched the war on terror and passed that Patriot Act because they have assassinated U.S. citizens um, in Yemen. Um, they they have uh, arrested them before to and held them without charge for a long time. Jose Padilla, you know, if they accused of terrorism, so you know, what are they holding her on? Are they accusing her of being a terrorist? Are they accusing her of being a spy? I mean, she was born here, her family's here, um, and she's traveled back and forth to where so you know it, it's just not right um this is a violation of her human rights but you know the press out there want to say stand up for journalism and journalism you know has been under attack and attribute a lot of that to trump and rightly so but it happens in other countries as well so what well, where is the journalism community you know again in in rallying uh for answers for, for this woman's detention so we're going to leave it there i do believe we have a, a number on the board that i don't recognize if we have our guests on um miss torres uh please hit star star on your keypad that'll unmute you uh sister khadijah if you see uh mother khadijah rather if you see the board okay she unmuted herself so i'm uh, okay i wasn't sure if i was muted i'm muted and, and i was listening to everyone and you know um and then, and I have to be polite in regards to um, because they'll look at us as terrorists. But this orange man, he has um, he has made it his journey to attack Muslims, to attack Latinos, to attack African Americans, to attack anyone that is not of his race. And I'm sure you agree with me. He is doing everything in his power to come at all of us. And this is where I feel. We must come together, people of color, 
we must come together and show him that, yes, we do have a voice. Yes, that we can stand together because he tries to divide us. Many try to divide us, and that is something that I become aware of with the work that I do as an activist. They try to divide us, but I refuse to allow this man to divide us. He attacks Muslims, African-American, Latinos of all areas, um, from Haiti to all over the country. It's just not here in the United States. So here are these men in power as law enforcement they are going to abuse their power and mistreat her because this man, who's the White House, has enforced upon them that it's okay to do what they do. It's justifiable to do what they do. And as, as I was thinking today, and, and what I wanted to express is that the system is so dysfunctional, the justice system is dysfunctional, it's broken, and it's really out of control because when I was told, my God, um, back in 2007, that I would never win because they never go against the police, she, this woman, Diane Wettendorf, was so right. So with the things that I see that has taken place on the news, on CNN, with the um, confirmation hearing, it has left me, like, with nauseated. And I, and, and, you know, and I, and I listen to what takes place in our prison system. You know, a lot of young men, that one young man, I can't remember his name. He was falsely accused of something. They locked him up. He was hurt severely inside the prison. And when he came out, I don't know if you remember his name. He committed suicide. Hello? I know who you're speaking of. I just yeah, remember. I can't remember his name. And, and that made me cry. Oh, that will be what? Khalif Browder. Yes. Oh, my God. And that broke my heart because I'm thinking it, they broke him. It, they broke him. No, no matter how you look at it, they broke him inside. And he's thinking, but I didn't do anything. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't do anything. And for them to treat him the way they have my son, Moses, who got into a little bit of trouble. And I always tell him, I said, son, it doesn't matter who your father is. I said, you know, he has been racially profiled by the police and his father being the police. And I said, it does not matter. It's because of the way you look. And this has been going on for more years than I care to admit. I mean, I'll be 59 next month, and I think about what my brothers went through back in the 60s, what we went through in North Philadelphia back in that time when we went through in Camden because racial profiling has been a problem for more years than I care to admit, and it's still happening. My husband and I, we are a biracial couple. I'm Boricua, and he's African-American. And the looks that we get because of where we live in Philadelphia is like, Michael, they'll never accept us. No matter how good people we are, we will never be accepted. So I think about my sister that is incarcerated right now, but they're going at her because she is Muslim. It's because she does go to Iran and she comes back and forth. They'll do everything in her in their power to break her. And I mean that's that's my my um my feelings because of the things that I've seen in my own personal experience. But I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. 
you get you put me on the soapbox and I'll just keep talking. So go ahead. <laughs> well, that was quite an oh. intro, but I'm gonna turn it over to Mother Khadijah as uh, you know she conducts this segment. But um, yeah, thank you for sharing your story. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Reed, and thank you, Sister Torres, for coming on, and thank you, Brother Tyson, for being here today. We have a really good show today. Um, this is the. I mean, she can do her own intro. She's just that powerful. Her voice alone has a, a severe message, and I, I definitely want to say out there, I'm a, um, I'm an anti-violent activist as well. I do not promote domestic violence. And her book alone, Abuse Hidden Behind the Badge, is something that I want to put my stamp of approval on as well. Thank but Mrs. You. Uh, Sister Arthur, let's just say, Sister Arthur, I'm going to call you Arthur because that's how I know you as. Rosario <laughs> And if I'm going to name up, please make sure you correct that, me. That's okay. My husband, Michael, he still doesn't pronounce my name correctly. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> so okay, I, I would say, and, and we've been together for 15 years, and I, and I just okay, say, just call me Rosa. You can call me Rosa. You know, um, I really appreciate this time. And to all your listeners, you know, domestic violence is a plague that has been out of control, I think, you know, before my mother's time. But as the years progress, you know, we always hope that the system would do right by survivors. But I realize that it's broken. And it's not, well, yeah, it is up to us to see that they fix it because I'm not a senator, nor am I in Congress. I'm not a state rep, I'm not an assembly person, I'm not city council, but I and we look to them to do right by us. But when that doesn't happen, we know as a people, and I know some people say, oh, no, don't vote, don't vote. Look, my granddaughter, Eliana, voted for the first time, and I said, baby, if anything, that's where you have your voice. I've done protesting. I have been interviewed on numerous occasions from Channel 6 to Fox News, um, radio interviews. But I always felt that my cries went on deaf ear. Clara Colon and I, who are survivors by police officer involved with domestic violence, we've done YouTube videos. We've done numerous YouTube videos. We've been um, to New York, and we realized that the that it is time for us now to reveal legally all the documents that we have to prove that the system is broken. Now it doesn't. St- it does not um, stop Rosa. us from speaking. S- Sister, I'm sorry, go Sister Rosa. Um, to to yes. your point, and you're probably aware of this, but I came across this was some years ago when the focus uh-huh. and the focus should have been put on the NFL for the domestic violence oh. um that that culture had permitted that industry that business uh permitted but i started you know uh talking about the police and i came across this uh website i'm trying to find it now here it is police family violence fact sheet from the national center for women and and I'm opening it up now. This is the exact one. Um, National Center for Women and Women and Policing. Are you aware of them? They just came out. Now okay. I've been talking about this, this about police officer involvement in domestic violence 
for close to 10 years. Yeah, they and can, it's this, now. This article came out in 2014, but let me just share this factoid and Go then ahead. I'm I'm going to shut up, but I just want to share some no, facts. No, no, please, please yeah, I, ask me. I want to I'm going to share some facts with the listening audience that uh came out from two studies. Uh two studies have found that at least 40% of police officer families experience domestic violence in contrast to 10 10% of families in the general population. A third study of older and more experienced officers found a rate of 24% indicating that domestic violence is two to four times more common among police families than American families in general. A police department that has domestic violence offenders among its ranks will not effectively serve and protect victims in the community. More off, moreover, when officers know of domestic violence committed by their colleagues and seek to protect them by covering it up, they expose the uh, Department of Civil Liability. So I'm going to post that in, in our chat and in Please. our uh, planning section. <clears throat> Um, but that that I found that to be astronomical, forty percent. You know, mm-hmm. th- that's including boyfriends, girlfriends. You know, yep. all of that. So, your thoughts right. on that? Do you think that's accurate? Forty percent. That's is that very. High? That's very accurate. As um as a survivor by by police um officer involved in domestic violence, when I was going through my ordeal, and 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 please let me say this. I'm not here to attack my ex-husband. He has to answer to God now. I don't, he doesn't have to answer to me. He, he caused me to have retinal detachment from the right eye. And just, just remembering what I went through in the marriage sometimes leaves me a little bit sad. He will have to remember me as long as he lives because he will have to remember. And and let me say this, he will never hold himself accountable for the damage that he caused. But my thing is God will remind him every single day of his life for the damage that he caused me. When I think of Clara Colon and I think of other survivors that were out there that have reached out to me, these men in power, and, and my husband was a very high-ranking Philadelphia police officer. He was chief inspector. From there, he went to become the um, chief of police in Lancaster. Now he works for the state attorney general's office in Pennsylvania, in Harrisburg. And during that time, the mayor from Lancaster never spoke to me. The um, state attorney general in Pennsylvania never spoke to me. They knew that there was a history of domestic violence. Council people had approached me. Women Against Abuse knew that I was trying to get help from from this man, but it was told to them by higher up not to help me, and this is Women Against Abuse, and I can say it, and I can say City Councilwoman Quinones had told me that they knew my husband was beating me, and this is why he did not become commissioner for the Philadelphia but Police you, you know what, sister? Yes. You, you are, are absolutely right, because just look at the comments, and, you know, they don't give the women as much help as no. they should give, Look at the comments with Trump. You know, he said, when you got money, just grab a woman, you yep. know, by the crotch. Yep. Or, or look at look at the accusation that was just, just brought on this judge that they, they just put in the office. Yep. Like, you have these things where you have money, they sweep things under the rug, or when you're in a high position, they sweep it under the rug. 
it's, you know, it's, it's sad. It's real sad when you you are supposed to be a public figure and you can put your hand on a woman. But well, you know, you know I I was told that I was crazy, my brother. I was, you know, I, told, I was told, crazy. yeah, that no one was going crazy. to listen and see, to what's me. What the problem is, and I'm, I'm gonna tell you a problem, sister, because you know. We as 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 fellow prisoners that come out into society, we go through the same thing. Yes, it's an aggression issue. They teach these officers aggressiveness straight out of the academy. So when now they when when now when they come out of academy, they're teaching all these tactics. They wind up taking all these tactics because they're teaching them to be aggressive. So they bring this bull crap home, and when they bring it home. You know, they they take all all the softness and and the understanding out of these officers. So these officers are becoming brutally violent because they don't know and they don't send these brothers or sisters who are officers to 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 holler at a strength to be able to deal with the strength to be able to teach them to be able to turn it off and on. So they're on full go on go mode to where's that. They don't have no understanding. They bringing the job home. They 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 bringing the case home, and 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 then they not understanding that once you get home, you have a family to protect and take care of. So they bringing this aggression home, this frustration from the job, and they putting their hand on these women. You know, just like in the NFL, the NFL, the oh. NBA. You know what I'm saying? They 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 bringing aggression home, and they putting their hand on these women. And, you know, things are being pushed to the side because, oh, they got money or, oh, they're a star player or, or they're a high-ranking officer. When it's, these are really tragic issues that need to be addressed because a man does not have a right to put his hand on a woman no. at all, period. No. I, I come from a family of nine, and um, my father... I was not accustomed to a man putting his hands on me. My father never spanked me. My father never spanked any of us. And there are nine of us, so imagine. And, you know, one of the things I always ask my brothers, I said, do you ever remember Pop hitting Mom? They're like, oh, my God, no. And I said, and see, that's what I, I didn't understand. One of my brothers will always ask me, well, why didn't you say anything? I said, I said, say what? He goes, well, we would have done something. I said, he would have killed you. If you would have gone at him and tried to hurt him because of what he did to me, he would have killed you, and they would have found it justifiable. I said, no. There was no way I was going to tell my family. My mother always knew. She said, you know, I knew something was going on, but you were afraid to speak. I said, of course. I said, because I'm the youngest of nine children, so I couldn't tell my brothers that, you know, from from the very beginning of my marriage. And, you know, and as I share in the book, you know, to me, he was my Prince Charming that turned into an ugly, ugly frog. And this is wow. this is how I feel, yes. And, you know, I, I, I tell my siblings, you know, he, he really, and what abusers do, they take you away from your family. They isolate you from your family. So when you start getting the black eyes, you don't see them as much. Um, his grandmother, who I called Angel in the book, she was my heart, and, um, you know, she, I could confide in her, but that was her grandson. But she knew that he was putting his hands on me. So when, when I, 
Now I only think of myself, but I'm, I'm talking about women all over the United States, all over the world, that are being victimized by these law enforcement officers, and they know they got that power, and, and how some of them died. Some have been killed. When, right, and they don't really, and that's the thing. My, I've been, you know, I've been doing a lot of research, and, and what's just, I, I try to bring it back home because so, I try to, like, go to so many different avenues to figure things out. But what I find alarming is only in the United States, over they have 17,000 law enforcement agencies that actually track officers' misconduct reports. Only a small fraction of that report. It goes back to why are they not reporting misconduct? Is it because they don't consider it a misconduct? Or they go ahead and make sure that they get honorated. Like they kill somebody, they get off the hook. So they don't have nothing to report because no incident happened. Exactly. So so that's the issue I have coming back to domestic violence and and violence and brutality within the ones that have the authority to make, you know, to, to, this is their job is to protect and serve. No. I don't, that was not the job description as far as being, being brutal to people necessarily. You know, sometimes, you know, I understand you got to defend yourself. I'm all for self-defense. But my yes. thing is when you really try to, like, sweep underneath the rug what's really going on because you don't want to report, and you're supposed to report misconduct. Yep. That's in their training thing, I believe. So the issue going back, Brother Reed and Sister um, and Brother Tyson and, and Sister Torres, is what, uh, what, how are we going to voice to the community in relation to the brutality that's going on, and that goes back to brutality in prison. So if that's happening on this lower scale, imagine what's happening behind the walls. Yeah. And that's really wanted you to come on. We didn't really get a good introduction of you because I just wanted to hurry and get into the story, but please tell the <laughs> listeners, Sister Torres, who you really are, um, all the things that you've done in the Latina community, and I just want the whole world to really know who you really are and what your, what your vision is. And what, what made you an activist? Those are the things we want to know, and the listeners want to know, too. Um, well, I am um, Rosaura Torres Thomas. Um, I, was, I remarried almost two years ago. I am a mother of three and a grandmother of four. Um, my oldest son is George, my middle son's Moses, and my daughter's Olympia. Then there's Ileana, Sincere. Angel and Baby Liddell, as I call him. He doesn't like me calling him Baby because he's six, so he thinks he's a big boy. Um, I come from a poor but humble and modest background. We we were the Puerto Ricans back in the 60s, picking blueberries and peaches and tomatoes. Um, you know, one of the things I learned from my parents is that, you know, we may be poor, but we're good people. And... When I met my husband, um, Keith, in in 83, as I said, you know, I thought he was my, my, you know, knight in shining armor, but he turned out to be this this really ugly frog. And from the very beginning, the first year of our marriage, he became very abusive. So that's something I shared. And I was always afraid to speak up. Everybody had a feeling, but I was afraid to speak. I was ashamed and one of the things that my ex-husband would do, was he would shame and blame and guilt me for him hitting me. And the hitting started because of his, his family. And 
it was it was just very dysfunctional and and there were things that I didn't understand especially when it when it came to race and and I I believe I shared this with you was that um they they had a thing about light skin and dark skin and they were light skin and they were brought up in the organization Jack and Jill and the only good thing about me was that was that I was light skin with good hair so when when Keith calls my my retinal detachment and I left my home, I you know, he left. I I must share this with you. A month after my retinal detachment, Keith had left. And during that time there was always abuse. There was if it wasn't verbal, it was financial, it was mental and it was physical. It was everything. So there there were things that you know, I suppress that, you know, I'm, I start remembering. You know how you have flashbacks? Anyone that's a survivor has, and, and you don't have to be a female. It happens to men, too, that you think that really didn't happen, but it did happen. So for all that time that I, I went into hiding for 10 years of my life, I hid. I was afraid. And when I left um, Philadelphia and I moved to Ben Salem, I thought I was safe. But I never felt completely safe there. And I came back to Philly for just a matter of six months. And when I was back in six months, my ex-husband's um, now wife, her and her girlfriend had cornered me in the diner. And I, I, I didn't know who she, she was because my vision was not as great, just the one eye. It was not great. And see, but, that's what I want the listeners to understand, sis. And, you know, I don't mean to interrupt your story because okay. I relate because I'm a survivor as well. And all survivors that know, I want people to break the stigma. Domestic violence affects everybody. It's not just yes. women. It's men, children, older people. You just be surprised what people are going through. Yes. But the trauma and the psychological effects that we have, and I wanted to go back to a comment that was made about the confine, solitary confinement after I made this comment. It's, it affects us psychologically. So people that are going into the prison system, let's say they're going with a domestic violence situation, they come out with, with post-traumatic Oh, yes. That's just one thing. And then the real issue hasn't been addressed. How are you going to heal from what you just went through? Now you're thrown into the slaughter in prison, and they really don't give, you know, it's not, no. you know, get, get over your emotions, basically. Suck it up, do the time. It isn't well, no. Exactly. And, and I agree with you 150%. It's, um, I had donated 10 of my books to the prison system um, oh, in English good. and in it's Spanish. Like, uh, to let them know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel because, you know, one of the things that they do, and, and it happens to both men and women, they they attack you in every way. They And, and once you're already abused by your husband or lover or boyfriend, whoever it may be, and you're put into that into that environment, you, you think less of yourself. Many of these poor women and men become suicidal, and that's what the system doesn't realize. You're just You're just breaking them even more. You're you're not doing right by them, and that's one of the things that you know both Clara Colon and I talked about is that they're not they could care less in their mindset. Abusers in their mindset, they feel they've done nothing wrong. They find themselves to be justifiable for what they cause you. So 
they they attack you, and when it comes when they start coming at you financially, it, it's it's like what do you do? He my my ex he he had my electricity shut off, he had the gas shut off, he had the phone shut off, and my daughter Olympia was still living with me. So you're like, what do you do? So what I did, I had a protection order, and in order to receive a little bit of money, a little bit of money to cover the bills. I drop my protection order, and I have that all in black and white. So I think of these women who have no choice but to drop their order because he's the main breadwinner, and he is the main. He was the main breadwinner. He did. He had, and and then I think of these women, and then when I I personally went into the courts. Women Against Abuse is now going into the courts, but for years I w- and I never charged. I never charged. I went in there because I know that feeling of feeling alone, feeling that no one understands me, no one's going to support me, and I would go into the courts with women. And the FOP attorney tried to get me thrown out of court. And I said, I'm not here to test. You know, the judge asked me, you know, but I was still Sadler then. She says, um, you know, Mr. Sadler, are you here to testify? I said, no, Your Honor, I'm here as an activist and a support system. And that's one of the things as a survivor we need. We need support. We don't need for you to tear us down. What do they say to us, my sister, when, um, Khadija, what do they say? They say, well, why didn't you leave? Or why didn't you do this? Or why didn't... We are blamed for what they did to us, and that was one of the things I decided to become an activist. When Ada Guzman got punched in the face by this um, Lieutenant Josie, I was furious, and everyone kept blaming her. Now, people in the political field of Philadelphia, they got involved, but it was all political. It was not to really help this woman because we right. developed an Ada Guzman committee and it all went to shit. I gotta say it, just like that. It all went to shit. It was a so why, it was why, not why are people talking about this? This is the issue I have. We have real issues going on and these yes. issues trying to be swept underneath the rug and you know People can always get technical to try to hold you accountable to their legal system. Hey, we we need... I'm sorry to interrupt you, Sister Khadija, but we're at the top of the hour. We need to take our station identification. Yes, Uh, we do. A break. Thank you, Liz, to take a commercial. Right, and when we come back, though, I want to pose this... I would Well, not really pose a question, but ask Rosa if she would... Uh, speak more on the FOP involvement because you know I oh, okay. I was in a conversation with someone about this officer uh, who killed this mentally ill person who was coming at him with a knife, and so I was saying on you know on Twitter that um, you know uh, people don't give police officers the benefit of the doubt because of all the all the cases and so they was trying to say like you know it's just a few bad apples i was like no it's not and then you know the role of the fop uh no matter what the videos show the fop is going to um tell you that this officer is innocent and you know just really yep. r- going to whitewash it uh so to speak or whitewash his record you know how it, it's just it's it just really frustrating to me but the fop has a lot of power they get legislation passed to protect 
bad cops and make things a crime if you touch a cop. So, it, you know, what was the FOP's involvement? If you think about that, you know, um, their public involvement in your case in uh, covering up your uh, ex-husband's crimes against you. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network. Remember, Black Talk Radio Network is supported and managed by the Black Talk Media Project, a North Carolina-based nonprofit. We only exist because of you, the listener. So please go to our website, blacktalkradionetwork.com and make a donation. Any amount is surely appreciated. And we're going to listen to this quick promo of how else you can contribute to making sure that this program and other programs like it stay on air. We'll be right back in about one minute. The Black Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And we are back. So, um, yeah, Sister Rosa, if you would speak on the FOP's involvement in covering up your ex-husband's crimes against you. The FOP is about the officer, and I'm sure you know that, Brother Reed. It, they're not about the wives or the girlfriends who are either being abused. And believe me, I'm just one of many. But I was the one that came out, as as I said, I came out of the darkness, because that's exactly how I felt. I felt like I was literally in a dark hole. So... Who who covers these officers when they have to go into the court? It's the FOP attorneys. When I was in the court with this young woman, Zulema de Valle, you know, he, I don't even remember this attorney's name, but I, he just failed to realize that my vision is basically done. I walk with a C&I cane. And he was trying to intimidate me, and the young lady I was with, she goes, he keeps staring at you. I said, the idiot doesn't realize I can barely see him, but I ignored him. And to to anyone, there there is a case now going on. It's in regards to Tony Boyle. He is um, chief inspector, 
and the female officer, she's a captain, um, can't remember her name, but he got he got abusive with her and she's a she's a police officer. In regards to Clara Cologne and, and I tell you this is how it works. We don't count, Brother Reed. The wives and the girlfriends don't count and even sometimes female officers don't count. Clara Cologne, um, for years was trying to get help from the Elizabeth, New Jersey Police Department, and for years they ignored her. Even some other um, sister survivors, well, we were, they weren't survivors, they were just advocates, and they kept calling Clara a, lie, a liar, and I said, why do you keep doing that? Why do you keep calling her a liar? She's not a liar. I believed her because I know, I know the behavior of an abuse cop, abusive cop. So... In the end, and this is why Claire and I are doing the second book together, in the end, this cop from Elizabeth, New Jersey, um, his last name is Cologne. I can't remember his first name. You've got to forgive me. See, this is what happens when you start getting old, you, your memory. But And Clara could share. I wish she could have came on tonight. But um, the reason why they made him resign from the police department as a lieutenant as in sergeant was because he broke his girlfriend's nose who happened to be a cop so this is what happens we do not count our voices our cries have gone on deaf ears when i i started using that word accountability i've been using that word for years now all of a sudden i hear all these people using it in my youtube videos I reached out to President Obama and, and Vice President Biden and all these other politicians. We want accountability. We not, we're not asking. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to get rich off of Keith or that horrible trooper who dragged me with the state police car. And that's a part of the book. And, that, and that's my luck. I ran from my ex-husband. I moved to Lancaster, and I don't want to tell you the book, but I got dragged by a state trooper with the state police car. And what did they do? It was an all-white jury. I know. Lancaster. Everybody, you got to go get her book because she will tell you the whole book. So she yes. wants you to go buy books. So you can get her next. <laughs> but I will uh, tell you. But, but see, this is my experience. I haven't even read the whole thing. So okay. So this know. is my experience. And then I'm saying it's broken. It's dysfunctional. And I right. see what is taking place. And we got these. And, and God, you know, I'm, I'm far from a racist. But we got these good old boys getting into office and still running the system. But this is where we come in as a people. Because I'm telling you, I believe in my heart and soul that if we come together as a people, we can put a dent in it. We can hold them accountable to do the right thing. Will right, I like, ever get justice? I no. want to speak accountability real quick, just real briefly. Um, sure. You had made a mention earlier before that you had dropped the um, restraining order. Yes. And I, I just, as a survivor as well, that I, I just want people to know the impact that that restraining order actually does have on how you can maneuver through the city and be protected, even though it's just a piece of paper. But knowing what your laws, what the, what the rights are, what our laws are, what laws are specifically governed for domestic violence survivors, there's so much out here that people aren't really 
explaining to people because they don't want to be accountable for, okay, well, this restraining order is active for a whole year, so we know we have to basically work to make sure that this person's protected. Now, according to the statistics, especially with what's going on in Philly and what's going on with the lady, the sister, Muslim sister, it's just it's so much corruptness going on that people are so scared to hide what the truth is, to share it. And once that's revealed, it's like, oh, well, we have no faith in the system. When it comes down to a system, really it's all about money. Yeah. People somehow want to progress. You know, they, they want to, you know, hush-hush. Yes, we're doing much better than we, we are. Statistically, yeah, murders might be down, but police brutality is going up. So how do we address that issue? And I appreciate you coming on as a guest, and I really want you to really, you know, explain to people the psychological effects that domestic violence has, especially people that are already, in, you know, into the system, prison system, whether it's federal or state, how the impact of the psychological, how it affects someone, especially you're already going through domestic violence, now you got thrown in consolatory confinement. So share your thoughts on those, if you don't mind. Oh, my God. And one of the things I've learned that, and, and to all um, my sister and brother survivors, you know, um, any kind of abuse is a lifetime of healing. No matter how hard you try, um, you know, you're going to have flashbacks. No matter, you know, you'll, you'll be somewhere and you're like, you'll think that it was a dream, but it's a flashback that you're having. And I say this because I did it. It's nothing wrong getting help. It's nothing wrong speaking to a counselor because it shows that you're sane, that what you're experienced and what you're experiencing is all normal. Is it okay to be angry sometimes? Oh, hell yeah. Is it okay to cry? Oh, hell yeah, cry. But don't beat yourself up. One of the things I told a uh, sister survivor, she asked me, when do you start forgiving them? Forgive them. Forgive you. Because we beat ourselves up. And even our, our men, well, maybe if I didn't do this, you know, maybe these, these um, CEOs wouldn't treat me this way. No, baby, that's the way they're programmed. That's the way they're programmed. So my thing is don't feel bad getting help and talking to a counselor. Don't feel bad at all, and don't feel bad that sometimes you may get a little angry, but you look at your, your watch and you say, okay, God, I'm going to give this a little bit of time, and I know I bring in the great spirit because I believe that he has brought me through this. I have done work in Jersey and in Philadelphia in regards to being an activist. I'm not an advocate. I'm an activist, and the difference is, is that I will speak up. I will continue to speak up. There are a lot of them that won't speak up, that are afraid to speak up. Like I said, one one councilman, he called me, oh, Lord, I forget. He said, oh, I was a, um, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't a nice word because he says I was a radical. And I don't think it's myself as a radical. I believe I'm a voice, a voice for others who are afraid to speak up. So that is my advice to my young, my old, whoever you are, do not feel bad. Don't blame yourself. You look at yourself in the mirror every single day and you say, I am dynamic and I don't deserve this. You know, I don't deserve this. 
so we, we the people, come together. You know, they're not giving these young men a chance. Even if it's for a little bit of marijuana, you want to lock them up for 10, 20 years, that makes no sense. You're, you're hurting their lives. But see, this stuff like this, the way they incarcerated our young brothers and sisters is because it has been, been way back since slavery. You still want to do this to us. You still want to break us. But, see, you have people like myself and Brother Reed and my sister Khadija that we will continue to speak out. Oh, we if, will if be I may, your support system. If I I'm may, sorry. If I may, Sister Rosa, to that point, it reminds me of a question because this is my first time um, speaking with you. And uh-huh. it's been a pleasure uh, to, oh, thank you. To, to listen to you talk about the issues. Um, but on this program, it was founded on the principle that slavery was never abolished because the 13th Amendment, which we always include uh, in our program description, and I read it, it says, Section 1, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime. Where uh-huh. the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. And, of course, Section uh, 2 says Congress has the power to enforce the article by appropriate legislation. So they found a way to continue to practice slavery. Exactly. So, so exactly. I wanted to just get ask you that question, you know, do you believe slavery was abolished or are they still just practicing slavery? Uh, They're using still this practicing. Looper? They're still practicing. They are still practicing. I believe they are still practicing. The way they incarcerate these young men and women for them, like I said, for a, a nickel bag of marijuana, you know, that makes no sense. And then, if, and like I said, racist, I'm not. But I'm aware and I'm seeing for myself that if it was a young man, a Caucasian young man, they would let him go. But, but, and I'm afraid, I have two grandsons, half black, and I always tell my grandson sincere, I said, baby, when a cop come approaches you, keep your hands all the time where he can see them because you will be another statistic. You just gave some really good, valuable information because something so simple could really just save your life. And um, and that's just what I wanted to say to listeners and parents. Just keep teaching your children the importance of knowing what our rights are, you know, but knowing how to respond. It's not always, you know, you have to know when to be aggressive. You can't be aggressive when, you know, you've got guns pointing at you. What you going to do? So we have to make sure that we teach and educate our youth to make sure we know signs, even with domestic violence. That's that is so these young girls and young boys know the signs of domestic violence. Yes. So they can start breaking a lot of these ciphers and, and curses that they have from past family members making bad choices. Doesn't mean the youth's going to make bad choices. So you, you back, break the cycle. You break the yeah, cycle. Break the cycle, and that's how. That's the issue with the prison system. How are we going to break these cycles that that's been in place for all these years? What is it going to take for us? What do we have to do besides just talking about it, besides just protesting? What do we have to do as a community to really address these issues, these questions, these real concerns that the community have? But you want us to um, you want us to make sure we pay our taxes on time. Well, give us something too. Don't give us a half-hearted act. At least give us a, a good, complete first step. 
you know, you I mean, I, really... I totally agree with you there. When I see, you know, and I apologize, my sister, Kadisha, for cutting you off. Um, this this wonderful lady who just became um, a congresswoman, um, her son was killed, remember? Um, he was shot for playing loud music by that, you know, there you go. He he saw a an African-American young man playing loud music, and he killed them. He shot him in front of all these people. Do you remember oh. that? That was an. What was the purpose? Because I forgot the actual story. But what was the purpose of why they shot? Because he was playing loud music, and I don't well, know what young folk don't play loud music today. Oh I mean, my. her, her it, name, it, it, her it, name, it, her name was Lucy McBath. Yes, um, yes, I saw her on CNN today. I'm, yes. I'm stuck on glue with Jordan, CNN because I'm just Jordan waiting. was her son's name, but yes. he had a different last name, Jordan. Um, and that person was thankfully convicted, and uh, she'll yes. still be yes, in prison. Yes, he was. Yes. But then I think of Trayvon Martin, and when I saw that, you know, I I look at my sincere, I look at my son Moses, I look at George, I look at baby Liddell, and 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 I fear for them. But then I look at my other, because I watch the children. I, I live near Lincoln High School here in, in Mayfair section, and I look at my young children, and I say, you know, just go home. Just go home because, you know, people are not nice out here in this world. Sometimes they want to be out here messing around. I say, just go home. I feel like, you know, Grandma Mo, you know, Moses, just go home, baby. Just go home. I'm telling them to go home. Just go home because they're not nice people out here. And I fear for them. I want to be able to leave this world that my my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren would not be judged by the color of the skin, but from the character that, and I feel like I'm speaking Martha Luther King, but God help us, this has been going on for too long, for too long. I fear for my husband, because I think he's such a humble, quiet man, but I fear for him. I fear for him, because he is a brown-skinned man, I, and, I, and I fear, and I said, oh, my God, you know, one one slight mistake, and they want to they want to put us back in a cage. Then I think about what what this president did to my Latino brothers and sisters when he put those babies in a cage, and that right there has left me distraught. And people just don't understand. We are not animals. We are not animals, you know. And I am hoping and. I would never run for office because, you know, they would want to get rid of me right away because I know I have a mouth on me. I, but I, I, I will continue to do as long as God allows me to, to speak out against domestic violence, to p- speak out about the injustice that our brothers and sisters are suffering. I will continue. Well, definitely never stop talking, sis. And this is a, we need more people like yourself and like oh, us. Thank you. That- because we have to be their voice, even the people that's locked up, the mess of the boppers, the youth. We have to, you know, make sure that, that their issues are being addressed because they're not in position right now to do that. And even if they were, some just don't want to talk about it. No. They'd rather just be listeners and followers. And, you know, when, you, when you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, remember that saying, then it's yeah. time to do something about it. And that's well, what we're trying to do. sick and tired. I know. And... I got tired. <laughs> <laughs> and and when the book was released, I got attacked in every way. I was called a liar. I was called evil. I was called vindictive, you know. And I'm like, okay. And and then I got 
Well, you know, everyone's waiting for Keith to sue you, and I'm like, sue me for what? For telling the, t- the truth? Yeah. I said, what? So, well, uh, yeah. That's how the world is. is. That's just the people, the wolves yep. that, that live out here that we have to deal with. But we need to learn how to maneuver amongst them and, and understand. And, you know, we still have a voice. You know? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And to And to all your listeners... You know, back in the day, you know, we were able to tell our children, you know, go home. And and some of our young folks today, they got smart mouths. But for their safety, you know, just tell them, baby, just go home because it's not safe out here. People are not really that nice anymore. Just go home. And this is what I tell them. I, You know, I said, I want you to be safe. And I think about my my grandchildren. When I look at these babies and, and I think of them because I want them to be safe. I want them to be safe. You just made me think about this video that went viral, um, and it happened here in North Carolina where we are, um, and so uh, this white man punched this uh, 11-year-old girl uh, in I the face. I heard about that. And, and what have you. And so I'm thinking as a, as a grandparent myself, uh, but, you know, why are you out there confronting grown men like that? Or, yeah. you know what I'm saying? I'm thinking about their safety. I'm not thinking about, this is a child. And and so, you know, there are people out there that will kill them. So, yes. It, yes. it's just a total society that we live in. Yes, and, and my brother Reed, you're so right. And I love North Carolina. I've been to Greenville, North Carolina, and Atlantic, and I love it there. I love it. I think it's beautiful, and, and it's a sin because, you know, people think that here down, you know, up north, you know, no, it's everywhere. What was taking place in our country, and, you know, when President Obama was sworn in, I, I went to Washington, and we were all the, way, all the way back with the Washington Monument, and I cried because I never dreamed in my lifetime. And I know that there was... um. I know that his family went through a lot, a lot. I I remember taking my granddaughter, Ileana, to see Michelle Obama speak at Villanova here in Pennsylvania, and she was only eight, and I didn't think my granddaughter would sit still to listen to her, but I was amazed by her. And Ileana, more than anything, she goes, she not only wants to be a lawyer, she wants to be a judge. This is what she says. I want to do, yes, I want. So... I'm heartbroken in, in every way possible what's taking place in our in our country today with with um with our young people. I'm I'm heartbroken. I'm heartbroken by how the prison system is and and I know firsthand I've I've never been incarcerated but my sons, you know, my son Moses for the littlest thing, but it is the way things are happening there, and they come they come out broken, they come out broken they're you know, and as I said before, my sister Khadija, it's 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 all right to get help it's all right it doesn't make you a crazy person. I always said that you know it doesn't make you just just reach out even if you gotta reach out to your pastor or your minister or your whoever. You know, someone that you feel you trust, just talk to them because you will come through that dark tunnel. And it is a dark tunnel. These these poor, you know, young men, you know, they come out broken. 
They come and they don't get a chance. They won't get a chance, but someone else will. Someone else will get a chance, but they won't. Right, and being a voice for domestic violence survivors. And, and it's amazing how just sitting here having a voice like we're having right now, we're hoping that whoever listens, we're not expecting to save everybody. No. I just want to be able to help at least one person that's out there going through it, hopefully more than one. But if I could touch one person's heart to just say enough's enough, it's time to finally leave this time when I leave because you know it takes about seven or eight times to leave before you really oh, get yeah. sick of it so once you decide that and make sure you have your safety plan and just and just bounce just know this is what I'm going to have to do if you have children now you know you got to plan it you can't just plan to leave when you know you know children are in school there's a lot of planning you have to do get with someone and talk to them go over a safety plan together with someone that you trust these are things exactly. that could be prevented so you're not having to have to deal with a lot of the, the laws that people have to deal with who commit domestic violence infractions, and they're in prison. And now they're saying, I wish I could have done it differently. Well, talk to these kids. Let these children know. We're reaching out to, to those that have a story that they want to share. How can we get help? How can we help you? Because rehabilitation is the key. Yes. When you really, cause psychologically, we already are having a bad time. So when everything piles up on you and you don't know how to react, and then you put back into society and you don't know how to react because you haven't had the proper treatment, medical treatment, what's supposed to happen? Another repeat offender. Well, one of the things, and, and I'm sure you agree with me, that when our children witness the abuse, sometimes either they become a victim or they become an abuser. I'm sure you agree with me there. Oh, it's a choice. Everybody has choices. Yes. It, it it happens, and this is where we're trying to break that cycle. Break that cycle of becoming a victim or the abuser. Because you'll meet an awesome lady or an awesome man, and you'll be abusive towards them because you don't understand why you're abusive towards them. And I'm going to speak on that. I have to intervene because this is just something I need to let the public know what I had to go through because I was abused so many times that it became normal for me. So now I took on, oh, you know, this is before I met my husband. Oh, I'm independent. I don't need a man. And I had this harsh exterior. And then I became the abuser. Like, I took on the role of, because it happened so much to me, you take on that personality, you take on a different party you don't want people to see. So I was guilty because I have a good husband. And, you know, I give him a hard time. And I'm like, why am I doing this? Why am I having flashbacks? Because yeah. maybe he might have said something in the same tone that reminded me of something else. And then I have flashbacks. And all he was simply trying to ask me was something about, you know, probably what, what we're going to have to eat for dinner. And I snapped because I had flashbacks. Yes. So we have to be careful that we don't become an abuser. Because yes. I became an abuser for a minute, and so I had my husband had to tell me, look, I don't know what that person put you to, but this is me. And and he had to pretty much let me see, look, you're, so you got to fix your attitude. And it really, you, know, <laughs> you know what? And you're so right, Mister, because I I I was you know I I would have flashbacks, and I'm like. And they controlled us. 
that we right. didn't realize that the control they had of us. We didn't. We felt so unworthy. We felt right. that we weren't worthy. And then you question yourself, well, this man is supposed to love me. What am I doing wrong? And we blame ourselves. So we get into relationship, and, into, and I realized that I needed to get help. I needed to get help when I met Michael, and Michael was that support system. He was the one that encouraged me to finish the book and put it out there. He was right. the one, and I and I have to I have to give him that because it was like I I need to tell my story. Someone a a um, Mexican gentleman he bought the Spanish book and he goes, "Señora, you have brass balls," and I'm like, "Okay," wow. and he goes. Women in my country, they don't talk like you do. And I'm like, okay. He goes, oh. yes, because when it involves police, no one wanted to hear it. So domestic violence alone is an issue, but when it does involve a police officer, it's even bigger. And as my brother Reed has said, statistically, they are now coming out with it. But beforehand, they wouldn't talk about it. It was very, it was very, it was very quiet. It, you know, and but then we're called liars and we're called crazy. So I, know, I understand. You know, sometimes I, I do. I have flashbacks. I'll sit here, and I get real quiet. And um, I said, okay, you know, what's this? And I said, okay, great spirit, you know. <laughs> One of the things, okay. and, and I'm, I'm, hope, I'm hoping you agree with me, and, and to share with your listeners, survivors of domestic violence, let it be male or female, we end up with ailments, diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, arthritis, cancer. Clara is a cancer survivor. She had both her breasts removed. I am a diabetic. Okay. Even Explain to people, see that, and that's an issue that we had raised last week about medical conditions, how yes. people already have medical conditions prior to re-entering into prison system or jail system. Exactly. How can we, like, what do you feel is the best remedy to make sure to expedite medical, specific medical treatment within prison so we can expedite? Within the prison system... Um, are you still with me, sister? I'm still okay. here. Okay. I I'm not sure who these these commanders are who who um runs the prison system here in Philadelphia. I'm I'm not familiar with them. Um, one of the things and that I I take is an is a natural herb. It's called black seed oil, and it goes back 3,000 years. It's a vitamin, and it helps me to stabilize my A1C. Um, that sugar water soda, stay away from that. I don't eat pork or beef because it doesn't agree with me, and, and um, I'm I'm Episcopalian, but it just doesn't agree with me. But but that's not one of the things. Taking care of ourselves, we. Because of the abuse and because of we what um, many of them go through the prison system, we don't take care of ourselves. 
we got to take care. I know that the men in there, they, they work out and, and they're pumping, you know, um, weights and everything. But when you come back out, continue to take care of yourself because that's all you got. Because once you, your body is done, that's it. He's not going to give you another one unless, you know, you believe in reincarnation. So take care of yourself because this is all you got. Take care. Love yourself. It's nothing wrong loving yourself. I always, I always tell my children, I love you because I love me. It took me 20 years to love me. I, that's how much I thought of myself to the point of suicide. I became very suicidal, and I didn't know why. Very suicidal. And then now, after all these years, I realized why I became suicidal. I realized. Domestic violence and any kind of abuse affects you in the worst kind of way. So I think of the, the young men and women that are incarcerated, and then the women that are and men and the children that are being abused here. I think of the children from San, the Sandusky case, Penn State, how that was cover up and those it doesn't the money is not the issue. Those children are damaged. You damage them. The children that witness abuse, you damage them. You could these abusers could care less the damage that they cause to their own babies. They can care less. My son Moses years and finally I think the Great Spirit, he is such a different person. Very different. Like I said before, I'm not here to beat up Keith. Keith is going to do that all by himself. Keith has to answer to a greater person, and it's not me. He's got to answer to the great one. So when he when he finally holds himself accountable and says to me, I was wrong, he'll be at peace with himself. Because until you hold yourself accountable, you say, you know what, I did this, this, and this, this, I was wrong. You're, you're at peace. And I'm at peace. Is everybody still with me or am I talking too much? Oh, I'm still here. Uh, but we, <laughs> it's not that you're talking too much. It's just that um, we have little time. And so okay. um, we do have another broadcast coming up at the top of the hour. Mind, Body, okay. and Spirit Radio makes its return listeners. So the fans of that show, uh, make sure y'all keep it locked right here on Black Talk Radio um, Network. Um, did you have any closing thoughts um, for us before we move on to our next seg- segments? How can people get your book? Well, actually, I'll, I'll tell people how they can get it. It's on Amazon. It's one of the outlets. Yes, it is. And we have yes, link link to it. If you're listening to the podcast of New Abolitionist Radio later on BladeTalkRadioNetwork.com, it'll be right there linked up for you along with the show notes. So uh, make sure y'all support by purchasing that book because it doesn't get uh, enough uh, attention. But we would love to have you back. And the lady that you mentioned, you're working on the second book with. Do you have a title for that? Uh, And her name, if we could get you and her uh, back on at a future date, that would be great. Oh, you would love Clara. Clara Cologne, she's an awesome lady and, you know, definitely a, a sister survivor who also went into the court system in Jersey. But I would definitely mention to her and we can both come on and we will love it. We will love it. She she has so much to share with you, my brother Reed. 
But to your listeners, you know, and to all your survivors through the court system, through the prison system, and through domestic violence, know this, that, you know, you are loved and love yourself, and there's nothing wrong loving yourself and knowing that let's come together. We as a people, not, not you know, African-American and, and, and Latinos, but we as a people, if we come together, things can change. I really believe that, and I believe in within the prison system it would change. But, they, you know, we have to help one another. This is how I feel. We We can help one another. But um, I think Emma, that uh, Melvin's bringing us together because Maxwell Melvin, he actually couldn't be on this evening because he's actually speaking at a symposium on social justice. So yes. big out to Maxwell Melvin. We appreciate you bringing making this connection happen. He'll oh, be on thank next. thank you. So, well, we just wanted to thank you. And thank you, Brother Reed, for allowing us to have this special guest on. Thank you. Thank you so much. May you be blessed, and may the great spirit always continue to bless you and protect all of you. Thank you. Look forward to talking to you again. Um, We're going to take Mother Khadijah and Tyson. We're going to take a short break, and then when we come back, um, I want to share this bullet point, a couple of publication highlights from that study. Uh, Some of the things was, you know, brought up about, um, earlier we were talking about incarceration actually causes more crime than it prevents. And there are studies that have, um, you know, a lot of data. Um, and we'll talk about some of the bullet points. And then our other story, and again, I want to keep uh, bringing, uh, again, her name is Marzia Marz- Ma- Hashimi. Um, that's the African-American uh, sister who probably also has a, a dual citizenship in Iran. She's married to an Iranian uh, national, and she also works uh, for Press TV, which is uh, based in Iran. And so she's been detained without charge. And you know there has there is always an attack on truth tellers. And you know we just as a media organization, you know, want to bring attention uh, to her case. All right, so um, the other article that I'll share, let me back up. Um, The attorney general nominee uh, that Donald Trump, who was brought up uh, by Sister Rosa, um, I want to share a little bit more information about him and possibly, you know, Sister Khadijah, with the work you've been involved with, you might know a little bit more about this guy than I I do because I've never heard of him. So I'm going to share this from Vox.com. Um, this is the guy they're trying to get confirmed right now. There's been Senate hearings. You can go to YouTube and pull them up. I haven't had time to uh, watch them and see if any real questions was being asked to this person. Um, mostly it's been about Russia, 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 and nothing about uh, this guy pro-slavery record. Um, but this is from Vice.com. Attorney General nominee Bill Barr's tough on crime record explained. Here's why. Trump's attorney general nominee worries criminal justice reformers. Well, I'm an abolitionist, so if it's worrying reformers, then I I know I'm not going to be happy with it. So, But we will get into this on the other side of this break. Again, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio on the BTRN radio network. (laughs) 
land of the free, it lies the home of the homeless. Too many die every day, and we really just want this freedom. and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. All right, welcome uh, back. So I'm going to hit some of the bullet points, but um, again, this is in the show notes, so click on that link from Black Talk Radio Network, or if you are a member of btrcommunity.com already, just go to the abolitionist group there, and you'll find in the discussions um, the uh, planning group for January 16th, 2019, excuse me, planning page. So, um, again, I, I mentioned this on at the beginning of the program, the prison paradox, more incarceration will not make us safer. You know, we've always heard that propaganda about, you know, being tough on crime and incarceration makes the public safe. And they've been producing propaganda like that to justify, uh, an increase in the enslavement of people. So, um, here are some of the the uh, publication highlights. You can read the rest there in the in the key facts and what have you by clicking on those links and visiting uh, this. But I'm just share the publication highlights. It says research shows that any crime reduction benefits from increased incarceration apply only to property crimes. Higher incarceration rates are not associated with lower violent crime rates. Um, next one, each increase in incarceration rates is associated with increasingly smaller reduction in crime rates. Um, the United States is spending heavily on jails and prisons while underinvesting in less expensive, more effective ways to reduce and prevent crime. I would say some of those things like be education, um, you know, food assistance, job assistance, all, a whole slew of things they could do to reduce crime, you know, because sometimes crime is a result of, of economic deprivation and people are forced to. And then they uh, pass laws and call things crimes that when you really think about them, they shouldn't be crimes. At least nobody should be putting be put into prison slavery over the crime. So, uh, what do, what do you think, uh, brother Tyson, brother, uh, I mean, excuse me, mother Khadija, what, what do you think about this highlights? Does incarceration create crime? You know, they've said, talk, said these things about, uh, prisons being a crime factory. Is there any truth to that? I believe it is. I believe prison create crimes because when you go inside the prison, and the way it's designed to take all hope from you, so you you get this attitude where you lose hope, you don't care, so you come out with the attitude of nobody's been there for me, nobody cares. So you come out with with f everybody, and you continue to get back into the same thing. And you know it, it actually makes you worse. It it it, it makes you harder because you have a. a a way of life that you have to live up to in order to survive in prison. So when you when you're behind them walls, you build up a wall within yourself to where is that I. You want to keep 
you know, you want to keep yourself safe. You want to keep people, and then the way the system is designed to break you down is to break you down mentally. But I ain't allowed to break me down mentally because you do what you want to do with my flesh, but you can't take my mental. So I allow myself to stay focused while I was incarcerated because I knew that was design of prison. Design of prison is to have you brainwashing to thinking to way the the way it is that they want you to think. So, you know, brothers and sisters do come out of incarceration with a mindset of F everything and and that has a big play into reoffending. You know, a lot of people who comes out of prison do reoffend because of the way that it's designed and not only that, you have no resources out here in North Carolina that actually really is dedicated to helping people who come out of prison. They took the halfway houses, so you don't have that. And you have you have no help with on um, being able to have medical bills paid. Now New Jersey have that. New Jersey set you up with medical and all these type of things, but North Carolina out of thirteen out of thirteen states, North Carolina is one of thirteen states that that does not help you with medical or any other thing when it come out when when it's time for you to come out of um, out of prison. So, you know, this is this is a big issue. This is one of the issues that have people reoffending because when you have no hope or you don't have no one helping you, nobody wants to go to a shelter because they don't have no housing or they or or a state is not trying to help you get housing or achieve your goals that you want to try to achieve. So what what people do? They resort back to the same old hustle. And I just want to add um, the cost associated with being incarcerated. I think it's in, back in 2000, the United States spent a lot. They probably I think it was over 30 billion dollars just on incarceration, and that's the level of public safety that we're involved with. It's like incarceration seems to be the only inexpensive way or expensive way to achieve less public safety. So it seems like when you have less public safety, that increases crime. So incarceration is just like it's win-winning for them because it increases crime, which means whoever's taking care of the family members, they're incarcerated. So there's no money coming in from there. It's tearing down social barriers, cultural barriers. Um, it's just it, every, everything. It just seems to go down pit money wise. So that means people are going to be committing more crimes to take care of their families because you're removing the adults from the family that is there to take care of the kids, making sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do as children and depriving communities of that income. So I what future you... does anyone have when you're robbing people for their future because you're taking away from the the stem of the family. And yeah, the stability, the yeah, the stability. Didn't you mention earlier, though, um, and statistics back it up, most uh, people have cited Justice Department report on violent crime going down over a decade, you know, but, mm-hmm. the, but the level of incarceration slash enslavement continues to go up. They right. continue to spend so, money. That's a big million-dollar question. Why is that? So are they using these programs to pretty much try to repopulate the the prison system 
Because they, if they don't make no money, they're not going to be happy. So guess what? They're going to make sure some crimes are being committed in order to fill these prisons up. Because guess what? They have supposedly bills and rent and everything they got to take care of, too. So when they don't have money coming in, you know, people do, you know, you pin someone against the corner, they do what they're supposed to do. All right. Um, let's let's change gears, uh, get in this last story. And I just want to tell y'all, I've never heard of uh, William Barr until he was nominated by Donald Trump to replace uh, old Beauregard, uh, what's his name, Jeff Sessions, uh, Jeff Beauregard Sessions down there in Alabama. Um, so this is his nominee. And this is what Vox.com is, is saying about this guy, saying, you know, he's always been one of those tough-on-crime quote unquote type people. So he will face questions from senators at confirmation hearings on Tuesday, a crucial step before he's confirmed as President Donald Trump's attorney general. Uh, Barr, who previously held a position under George H.W. Bush, will become head of the U.S. Department of Justice. If senators confirm him, he'll replace um, acting general uh, Matthew Whitaker, Attorney General, I should say, who's in office at the Attorney General Jeff Session resigned last year. For now, a lot of the tension around Barr has focused on what his nomination could mean for the Russia investigation, but as head of the U.S. Department of Justice, Barr will also have a lot of control over the federal criminal justice system more broadly. And although criminal justice reform has gained momentum in recent years, leading to the passage of the Federal First Step Act with Trump support. And please check out last week's uh, program for um, uh, this panel's uh, perspective or analysis of the First Step Act. It ain't all what they trumpeting it to be, but it says Barr's views have historically been on the opposite end of the spectrum, supportive of mass incarceration and other tough-on-crime policies. So we're talking mandatory minimums and and what have you, um, you know, would be against uh, the federal ending federal prohibition on cannabis and some uh, would argue drugs, period. Uh, but Ames Growert, senior counsel at the Brennan Center, which supports criminal justice reform, tweeted in reaction to Barr's nomination last year, Barr is one of the few people left in policy circles who could reasonably be called as badass or worse than Jeff Sessions on criminal justice reform. And make no mistake, Sessions had a very bad record on criminal justice reform. Some, I'll end it there. Y'all can uh, check out the link and read the rest of the article because uh, I got two quick segments that I want to share. I uh, won't be, spend a lot of time on them. But um, I hadn't heard of this guy. Had y'all ever heard heard of him? It, it doesn't sound good, and he, be, he could become the attorney general. At the Justice Department. Nah, I haven't heard of this dude. But it's sad, man. They just lining all they players up in, 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 in a category to where that they trying to take over, man. Everybody knows Donald Trump. He's he's, he's a racist. I, that's my opinion, and I'm sticking with it. And um, <laughs> you know, he's lining up. He, he lining up his people to be able to be in power and position, man. And, and people don't even see it. Yeah, the uh, private prison industry uh, uh, donated almost, I think it was $750 million. Of course, they didn't give it to his campaign directly, but gave it to pro-Trump super PACs 
and what have you. And it was like $750 million. That's three quarters of a billion dollars on on getting this guy elected. And so, yeah, uh, he is definitely pro-incarceration. Um, and, and guess who this, giving him that money? Right. His supporters. His supporters from that, that hidden agenda. You know, me and you both know. His his his, his pro is pro white people, you know. Is is supporting because they want him to carry out the orders and and the dreams that they have, man. They want to, you know, they wanted to make a, a white America. They trying to make an example and, and and trying to trying to you know basically prove and 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 and, and let it know that slavery is slavery is still real. Right, right. So I got two segments, and then we'll go um, and get our final comments from our panel. And again, uh, we want to thank Brother Maxwell for hooking us up with um, our sister activist, as she said, Sister Rosa Torres. Um, definitely a powerful interview, um, dedicated woman. It seems my first time speaking with her, looking forward to speaking to her again, but let's get these last two segments out the way of uh, freedom from prison, slavery and our abolitionists in profile. So, uh, going with freedom from prison, slavery, a man who was released from a Delaware prison last week after spending 39 years behind bars is now talking about his experience. Elmer Daniels, now 57 years old, was 18 when he was convicted of rape in 1980. He was released nearly 40 years later because of invalid evidence. As Daniel walked out of prison, he was greeted by his legal team who had won a hard-fought battle for his release after discovering false evidence, bad science, and a number of judicial irregularities. Now, uh, when they say the word like irregularities, how about judicial obstruction or, or cause, you know, what, what does that really mean? So anyway, we want to welcome, um, to freedom, Elmer Daniels, who's now 57 years old, again, 18 when he was convicted of rape on, on bad science in 1980. Um, our abolitionist in profile is Sarah Mapp Douglas. She was born in 1806. Uh, she transitioned from this existence in 1882. She was an abolitionist, writer, and educator, the freeborn daughter of Robert and Grace Douglas, a distinguished black abolitionist family in Philadelphia. She joined her mother, Grace, as a founding member of the biracial Philadelphia Female Anti-Slavery Society, in 1833. Uh, throughout her abolitionist career, Douglas also served as recording secretary, librarian, and manager for the Philadelphia Female Anti-Slavery Society, contributed to both the Liberator and the Anglo-African Magazine. She was a fundraiser for the black press, gave numerous public lectures. Uh, she also ran a school for free black children in Philadelphia. She was known as a passionate educator. She also taught children and adults, black children and adults in New York. In 1853, she took over this girl's preparatory department at the Philadelphia Institute for Colored Youth, offering courses in literature, science, and anatomy. Uh, Douglas maintained a long and close relationship with prominent white abolitionist Sarah and Angelina Grimke, daughters of a South Carolina slaver. In her letters to Sarah Grimke, Douglas revealed the pain of encountering race prejudice among fellow Quakers. 
um, Grace Douglas and uh, her daughter Sarah, along with a white feminist named Lucretia Mott. Um, I think we might have highlighted Lucretia Mott last week. I think we did. She's an abolitionist. Uh, we're often able to persuade white organizations to include a black abolitionist perspective. Thus, mm -hmm. as historian Janice Sumler Lewis points out, they became not just well-meaning ladies, but an aggressive, persistent force for change in the Philadelphia area source and so new abolitionist radio salutes the memory of sarah map douglas did i lose uh the rest of the panel okay uh looks like um we did lose them but that's okay i'll go ahead and close it out this broadcast of new abolitionist radio as we prepare for mind body and spirit coming up uh, next, um, where I believe their guest is the uh, Judge Brown, Judge Joe Brown, a uh, man of note, uh, former uh, former judge, actual judge, and later, um, you know, brought to uh, national attention through that um, uh, courtroom uh, program he had, he hosted on television. So uh, keep it locked right here on Black Talk Radio Network. Dot com and our digital radio station, Black Talk Radio Network. And we will catch you on next week. Uh, we should have a guest from the Bronx 120, a person who just got out of prison. Uh, we've done reporting on the Bronx 120 and interviewed some of the victims of, of um, uh, basically the rounding up of African-American uh, young black males and putting them into prison through, um, you know, what they might call some legal, some people would call double jeopardy. Anyway, um, we were, were going to try to connect with someone tonight, but it looks like we're going to have to make that happen next week. So we're looking um, forward to that interview, and we hope that y'all join us next week again for another broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio right here on the Black Talk Radio Network. Peace and blessings to all. Be safe out there. Land of the free, it lies the home of the homeless. Too many die every day, and we really just want this freedom.